How are you this morning? It's good to see everybody this morning. I am excited to be here. If you do not know me, my name is Corey. I'm the lead pastor of Third Street Community Church, where you are all sitting right now. Best of luck to us all. And it is my honor and privilege to be bringing forth the Word of God this morning. If you have not been with us since the top of the year, since 2020, since January 1, 2020, we have been tracking the discipleship journey of the Apostle Peter. We started way back in the gospel accounts where his name was Simon. We started by talking about the fact that Jesus calls Simon. And that when, when he began to follow him, not only did Jesus say, now sit back and watch this, but he actually told him, I'm going to put to action the things that you have already been designed to do. You see how you've been fishing? I respect that. Now let me teach you how to fish for people. And if you're going to follow me, Simon, you need a new name. Not because, not because your name isn't good enough, not because you are not good enough, but because the world has an expectation when they hear your name. But that's not how I see you, Peter. I see you as a rock. I see you as a foundation. I see you as a pillar of faith upon which I will build this worldwide movement to come in just a few years that is going to radically change lives all the way into eternity. That is how I see you. And we've talked about this journey that Peter has been on, these ups and these downs. And overall, up to this point, we've, we've pretty much covered the awakening and calling of Peter. But what I want to begin to get into now is this transformation that we get to witness in Peter's life. We call our series now Metamorphosis. Metamorphosis, quite literally, as this bumper video so beautifully explained, just means a change of the form or nature of a thing or person into a completely different one. By means natural or, in this case, supernatural. What I mean to say by all of this is that when you walk with Jesus, things change. And as Peter walks with Jesus, we're going to see things change. What I love so much about Peter is that he doesn't hide at all who he is. He will always give you what he's thinking. He will be out front with the way that he is. But what we get to witness through the text is we get to witness how his perspective changes. There's a lot of us that haven't been up on that lately. There's a lot of us that have held views since we were little kids blindly, and we're not willing to change. But what we learn, if we learn anything from the life of Peter, is that when you walk with Jesus, things have to change. And so where we start this morning is we start in what I would think would be one of the first instances that Peter experiences radical transformation And it had nothing to do with him at all. If you would join me in the gospel of Mark, meet me there. You can find me in chapter 9. That's indicated in most of your Bibles by the big number 9. And we're going to start our time today uh, in verse 2, which is likely indicated by the small number 2. If you do not have your physical Bibles with you, uh, if you need one, come find me. I got you. 
Um, uh, otherwise, let's, you know, let's, let's maybe get in the practice of bringing that. If you uh, feel as if you are confident enough to fight the temptation of the devil to stay off of Facebook, Instagram, Instagram Snapchat, or Twitter during this time, go ahead and look it up on your electronic devices. But if you're like me and you are still, still just, just kind of weak in the faith when it comes to distractions, maybe just look right up here on this screen for us. We got Mark chapter 9. We're starting in verse 2. This is what our text says today. It says this. Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, and he led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed. His clothes became dazzling white, far whiter than any earthly bleach could ever make them. Then Elijah and Moses appeared, and they began talking with Jesus. And Peter exclaimed, Teacher, it's wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And he said this, I love this, Mark is so great about this. Verse 6, one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, literally. Chapter 9, verse 6, he said this, Because he didn't really know what else to say. Because they were all terrified. That's so honest and so real. Like, I just, I didn't know what to say. That's why I said it. Verse 7. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, when they looked around, Moses and Elijah were gone, and they saw only Jesus with them. As they went back down the mountain, he told them, don't tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Verse 10, piggybacking on verse 6, so they kept it to themselves, but they often asked each other, what do you think he means by rising from the dead? I don't know how many things that could possibly mean, to be honest with you. The interaction right before this one is the one where we covered last week. If you weren't with us, let me encourage you to go uh, online, thirdstreetchurch.com, Spotify, or Apple Music, and catch up with uh, the sermons that we've been going through. Um, but the, the, the interaction right before this one is the one we covered last week, and it is, where, it is where Jesus asked over and over, like, who do people say that I am? And they answer with some speculation, but then Jesus says, Peter, who do you say that I am? He says, well, I mean, I think you're the Messiah. I think you're it. And Jesus is like, certainly heaven has revealed this to you. Now, let me also tell you that the Messiah and anyone who follows, as a matter of fact, is surely going to suffer and die. Boy, talk about like a mood killer. Peter's got a problem with this. He's like, well, now hold on. If you're the Messiah, Messiah means like savior, hero, winner of the day. How are you trying to tell me that you're holding on to your Messiah card, but you're going to suffer and you're going to die? That doesn't sound very Messiah-esque. And Jesus says, yeah, you got to go, bro. You're going to have to get behind me. You're talking like the devil at this point. Remember, the devil had already tempted me with avoiding the cross. Now you're just bringing up old wounds. Now you're just bringing up stuff that I already overcame. I already been past this, but you want to bring it back up. You're going to have to fall in line behind me. They don't like this. Peter gets rebuked for his objection. 
And the feeling, the mood in the group has to be somewhat somber. Because not only did the person they're following, not only did their teacher, their hero, their Messiah just say, I'm going to fall on some hard times and they're going to kill me. But now if we object to that opinion, fact, then we get rebuked. So let me just sit here quietly and think about the fact that we're probably going to fall on hard times. They walked that way for days, probably just sitting and thinking about what's going to come, probably just waiting, expecting their fate to be like right around the corner. And then one day Jesus decides, you know what, I got, I got something for you. Not all of you, because not all of you are going to get it. Let me just take you three, his inner circle, if you will. It's like Peter... James, John, you three, wake up. Come with me. Come with me. Oh, you want us to wake up the others? No, this is not for them. This is for you. It says, come, come follow me up this, up this mountain. And the text says, Jesus leads Peter, James, and John up a mountain. And scripture makes specific mention that he was taking them apart from everyone else. Please notice that it doesn't say they walked together, but it says that Jesus led them up a mountain. And also, once again, not everyone comes with him. See, the fact of the matter is, if we are truly following Jesus, he's going to lead us away from the comfort of our own friend groups. He's going to lead us away from the comfort of our own family, of our own people groups, of our own people that we've identified with or come to get to know. He's going to lead us away from the comfort of the things that we know. And he's going to lead us to places that we can only get to by him leading us there. He's taking them to a place to show them something that they're not going to understand until much, much later. I picture being downtown for Game 7 of the NBA Finals in 2016 when LeBron James delivered on his, on his long-made promise of bringing a championship back to Cleveland. And I remember vividly being out in the streets just going bonkers close to midnight, and there are children still awake, miraculously, on the shoulders of their parents, screaming their heads off. And I think to myself, they have no idea what they just experienced. But in years down the road, when Cleveland still hasn't won another title, and people are talking about this one, they're going to get to say, I was there. Jesus takes them up on a mountain for something that they're going to have no clue what they just witnessed. He's telling them, come with me. Not everyone is going to appreciate or understand this. As a matter of fact, you're barely going to appreciate and understand this, but this is for you. I want you to know this. I got three points this morning, and then I'm out your way. Point number one, if we want to be transformed... We have to get alone with God. If we want to be transformed, we have to get alone with God. Now, can I keep it real this morning? Have we made this place safe enough? Can I keep it real? Is that okay with everyone? Okay. I am a strongly leaning to one side extrovert, which means I talk a lot. That's not literally what that means, but just go with me, right? I'm an extrovert 
who also struggles with ADD, which means I like to talk and be around people a lot. I get energy by being around people, and my attention span is squirrel. You might, you might be like me, right? You might, you, you might be like me, so getting a space where you're alone, one person just got that, just now got that. <laughs> so getting a space where you are completely alone and in the frame of mind to hear from God is impossible some days. Some of us struggle more in general, to just make the time. We have busy schedules. We'll do it in the morning, but then we wait till the last possible second, you know, where you've hit snooze enough times that if you're like, if I don't get up literally right this second, I'm not going to make it on time, and then you still sleep for five more minutes, like, or some of us are like, you know what, I'll end my day on that note. I'll end my day praying before I go to sleep. And then what happens is you lay down to pray and you just sleep. You're laughing because it's you. Some of us really want to read the words that God inspired in Scripture, but we can't quite get into the story because we don't really understand everything around it. Certainly some of this language seems ancient, And then, honestly, I just get bored. And all of this is problematic because we want to learn to be like him. We we don't want, we want to learn to, to look more like Jesus, to act more like Jesus, to respond and experience things more like Jesus, but we don't want to get in his instruction or sit in his presence. And what we read here is that his inner circle, check this out, his inner circle got alone time with him. They got to experience wild, in, like unobtainably understandable things firsthand. They experienced crazy things firsthand and still didn't get it. So why do we think we're going to strengthen our relationship with God and become more like Jesus when we don't make time in our days to be with him? We have to begin to build the margin into our day to be with God. Now, this may or may not be helpful to you, but let me tell you what I've tried to do. So I pad my workday with 30 minutes on each end. That, mean, that means if I have a meeting at 9 o'clock, I am out the door by 8.30. Try to be. I'm not perfect. Leave me alone. I try to be out the door 30 minutes ahead of time because I need that space to be with God. Because I've realized when I, when I build in that 30-minute space to be with God, I'm a better pastor through the day. And then I pad the end of my day with 30 minutes, meaning if I need to be home at 5 o'clock, I leave wherever I'm at at 4.30, and for 30 minutes, I am alone, just me and God. And I've found that when I build that pad into my day, that 30 minutes at the end of my workday, I'm a much better dad and husband when I get home. 
It shifts everything in my day for me. If there's something I need to prepare in the spirit and I, and I really need to like hear from God on this one, I can't just rely on my own energy and my own strength for this one. I really, God, I really need you on this one. I'll get in my car. It's the only space where everyone leaves me alone because I'm going too fast and I'm by myself and I'll turn off music or at best I'll put on like a sermon or something that's like, you know, like gets me in the right frame of mind and then I'll get on 77 South from the city and I'll just go because if you ever gotten on 77 South from the city, do you know what's after the city? Nothing. It's a straight shot to South Carolina. <laughs> and I don't always make it all the way to South Carolina. I usually make it to about New Philly and turn around and come back. But it's about an appropriate amount of space to just be alone, to invite the presence of the Holy Spirit to speak and to just let God go. And sometimes it's nothing more than just relaxing. And sometimes it's like drinking from a fire hydrant. Sometimes God uses that space because I'm faithful to create it. God uses that space to be like, bam, that's everything I've been trying to tell you for a week. Where you been at? <laughs> We've got to find out what works for us because check this out. When we are faithful to make space for God, he's faithful to do something with it. When we're faithful to make space for God, he's faithful to do something with it. Don't believe me? Look back at the text. Verses 3 through 8. Look at what happens once the inner circle is alone with Jesus. Things get wild. They think they're alone. They think, they think like, oh, Jesus is taking us for like an early morning run. I'm picturing like, remember the Titans when Coach Boone woke everybody up and they're like, why do we have to do this? And he's like, come on, I'm taking you somewhere. And then they get to Gettysburg and they're like, why the heck are they in Gettysburg? That is what I picture when Jesus gets them up to the mountain. They're tired. They're groggy. We just hiked a mountain by, by, by God's strength alone. And now you're just sitting here. What's going on? But you done made the space and Jesus says, watch what I do with it. It says Jesus' face lit up. And I'm not talking like, oh, happy to see you. I'm talking like, lit up. His clothes began to glow. It says it was like a white, it was like a light that earth couldn't possibly replicate. There was just something so, so, so wild. He's lit up. And then all of a sudden, Elijah comes. And Moses comes. And they just start talking with Jesus. And we might not understand why that's so significant. So let me put it to you this way. They are the legends of the Old Testament. The legend of the law. The prophet of all prophets. Pop up. The craziest events that we've learned in history class all growing up are now represented in front of me. And they're all pointing to the one person I've been following. For me, it'd be like if Iron Man, Tupac, Kobe Bryant, and the force from Star Wars all popped up and said, look at Jesus. This is magnificent. This is wild. I can't believe what I'm seeing. And then Peter, like so many of us, wants to ruin the moment. <laughs> 
and be like, hey, uh, um, uh, I'm glad I'm here. I'm glad, hey, this is truly magnificent. Guys, this is really good. Uh, how about, how about, I got it. How about I build a tent? I'm going to build one for you, Jesus, one for you, Moses, one for you, Elijah, and, and you're going to be comfy. Because he didn't know what to say. He's so awkward with it, he feels like he's got to feel the silence. But if he should have learned anything, he should have known in this very moment that God's tent had already been pitched. Peter is witnessing all of God's glory being delivered into one place. And that place is the body of Jesus Christ. Everything he had ever learned, everything he'd ever anticipated was now revealed to, as a matter of fact, be inside the one he was following the whole time. Therefore, everything that had ever been promised was sent to be delivered through Jesus. And then thankfully, ignoring his stupid comments, God's voice comes over the loudspeaker. He says, this is my son. Listen to him. God wasn't saying, look at how I just changed Jesus. God was saying, look at all that is in Jesus. God wasn't transferring credibility in this moment. He was revealing credibility that had been there the whole time. And therefore, listen to him. If we truly want to be transformed... We've got to listen to him. God's audible voice, the heard voice of God in all its brilliance and its terrifying glory. How many of us have have just died to want to actually hear the real voice of God and they got to hear it? Think about how incredible that moment was. You've wanted something so bad. Like, I just want to hear from you. I just, I, just want, I just want your audible voice in my ears. And they finally got to hear it. And you know what brilliant thing God said? Listen to him. Listen to Jesus. Peter's got to be like, dang it, is he talking to me? Did he know? Did you tell him I wasn't listening earlier? Because that's really embarrassing. That's like not the principle. That's God. And you just ratted me out to God. You're the snitch of all snitches. I'm mad. If we want to be transformed, we must listen to Jesus. Do you know that God still speaks today? Do you know that God still speaks through his Holy Spirit? And that the privilege we have as believers is that the Holy Spirit, God's presence, God's voice resides in each of us who choose to have faith. In Jesus Christ. A big part of the reason we need, to, we need to get alone with God is so that we can hear from God. So that we can listen to what he's saying. I think a lot of times this is what we do. A lot of times we want God to speak to us, but we, we want God to speak to us in an obvious way. A more obvious way. Like we want God to speak to us through somebody else. So that's why we hang out with our Christian friends. 
That's why, that's why we listen to a Christian podcast or sermons that we've already heard. That's why we play worship music in the car instead of bumping Lil Wayne's most recent. That's why. Because we want God to speak to us through all of these avenues. Some of us are just living prophetic word to prophetic word. We want these words of knowledge. We want the spirit to give that to other people to give to us. But can I tell you something? God's not going to say anything about you to anyone else that he's not been trying to say to you in private personal prayer. I feel, like, I, feel, I feel like I need to say that again because eight people just about passed out. God's not going to tell anyone else anything else about you that he hasn't been trying to tell you. But we got to make the space. We need to make the space. Some of us, some of us, and, and me being one of them, right? This, this is totally me. I've owned that since the beginning of this sermon at least, right? Brand new information to my wife that I'm owning it, but I'm owning it, all right? I own that I'm like Peter in this moment, and I don't know when to shut up. I'm owning that. So when I, so when I get alone... Don't worry, don't worry about him. He's fired. He's fine. He got another job. He got another job. He's fine. Listen, we, some of us might make the space to get alone with God, but we don't stop talking or trying to fill the awkward void long enough to hear from God. When we get the time alone, we feel like we need to fill the space. Well, God, I know you're here, so as long as we're both here, I guess I've prepared a list of things that we could possibly talk about How's God supposed to get a word in if you're just out here babbling about things that you've been thinking? He already knows what you've been thinking. Part of our prayer has to be hearing from the voice of God. It's not always audible or in visions or things like that. God speaks through writings he inspired as well. He has all these ways of speaking to us to remind us of what he's capable of, what he's up to what he's planning to do. Now, if you are anything like my beautiful wife, Rachel, you're already ahead of me on this next sentence. You already know that there's a difference between hearing and listening. She teaches me that every week. There is a difference between hearing and listening. Listening implies action. God lays all of this out for us so that these things can be put into action. And action results in movement. And it might be hard to understand. It might not always make sense to us. And it almost definitely won't be comfortable. But check this out. The results are proven. It's all been shown in the person of Jesus. Anything Moses did, anything Elijah did, anything any legend has come to this earth to do, all come to say, yeah, but that is Jesus. All of it is in there. 
All of it is in Jesus. The miracles, the law, the prophetic, the glory, so on and so forth. It's all in Jesus. And if you're listening to Jesus, if you're actively following and acting on the things that Jesus says, the results are already proven. They're timeless. He's been on this. One last part that I want to draw our attention to. It's the very end, verses 9 and 10. I included them for a reason. On the way back down the mountain, Jesus tells Peter, James, and John, hey, don't tell nobody about this. You ever have that moment with your kids where you just took them to do something special, and then right before you let them get out, you're like, hey, hey, don't tell mom. All right, let's go. Don't tell mom I let you eat your ice cream before your chicken nuggets. And then when she gets home and sees you didn't eat your chicken nuggets, be like, oh, I guess they just weren't hungry. <laughs> Jesus coming down the mountain says, Peter, James, and John, don't tell anybody about this until, until I get up from the dead. Then you're going to preach on this. But until then, don't say anything about this. Jesus wants them to remember and sit on remembering all that they had seen and experienced. Because times are going to get rough. Remember, I told you, suffering is on the way. And as he had told them and will continue to tell them, he's going to die. But he wants them to have hope. And they don't get that. And so he takes them to experience something on a mountain that should give them hope. So when I die, I hope you remember this mountain. I hope you remember what you saw today. I hope that when you watch them brutally murder me, you look not at my bruised, battered, beaten, broken, and bleeding body. But your mind instead goes to the time you saw the full glory you've always been taught reside inside of me. He wants them when he gets back up, to be able to say, I knew it. I knew it. And then preach the resurrection and new life found in Jesus. For the rest of their days following Jesus, both physically and afterwards in the spirit, the disciples are going to be faced with hard times. But Jesus showed Peter, James, and John that day on the mountain to have faith. Because it all ends well. Last point. If you want to be transformed, we must remember it ends well. I remember watching a video one time. Uh, a guy who played on the 97-98 Utah Jazz. His task in the, in the NBA final series was to guard Michael Jordan. And they said, what was that like? He said, let me put it to you this way. Michael Jordan was so great that in game five, when we were up by 20 with two minutes left, I looked at my team and said, we still ain't safe. There was just something about Michael Jordan that it didn't matter what advantage you had. If you looked across the lines and saw him on the other team, you weren't comfortable till it was over. Imagine being on the other side. Imagine being in the huddle, down 20, two minutes left, walking off, upset, 
because you just blew it. You just lost on national TV, the NBA finals, and you bend over to not acknowledge anything that your coach is saying. And then you look at the person sweating above you and you realize, oh, that's Mike. Oh, we got Mike. Oh, hold on. Hold on. This ain't over. We got Mike. And as long as I got Mike, I know it ends well. As I correctly anticipated, 2020 has been a really rough year. It's been a really rough year. I've had to make difficult decisions that affect long-standing relationships. I've had to navigate tense situations between people I love. I've had to fight the feeling of betrayal and combat that with the supernatural ability to forgive. I've had to learn new processes and skills that I prayed in Jesus' name I'd never be faced with. Amen. I've had to walk away from things that I love because it's not a part of the vision that God has for us. And to be even more transparent, those are just the things that I can mention while still being vague in general. I've been feeling terrible. I had somebody tell me this morning, you still sound sick. Yeah, I've been sick. Can't get over it. I have felt terrible. And I say none of this to gain empathy from anyone. Y'all who know me know, hold that to yourselves. But I say that to be able to mention that the only thing that has given me comfort is that I know that it ends well. I don't know when it's going to end. I don't know how much worse it gets before it ends. But I know because of my faith in Jesus Christ, because of what he's done since Genesis, what he did at the cross and in the grave, and what he continues to do in my life and in yours, I know it ends well. God has shown me things that give me that confidence. That allows me to know who I follow will deliver on every promise. That God has already overcome the world and he invites all who dare to believe to join him in overcoming. If you're here this morning and you're staring in the face of suffering, I need you to know that God is not done. God has not finished with you. God wants your heart. Because if he has your heart, he can lead you through to glory. There's no way, church, there is no way we can stand individually against all of the world and the enemy has to throw at us if we are not spending time with the one who has already overcome. There's no way we can get back to our intended design. You know, the way that God meant for things to be in the Garden of Eden. You know, the way that God meant for you to be when he said that I made you fearfully and wonderfully in your mother's womb. Before she even knew you were there, I knew who you were going to be. I knew what you were going to be like. I knew the sound of your laugh. I knew how many hairs was on your head and then would someday no longer be on your head. I knew all of those things. And if you want to get down to that design, if you want to get back to that design, there's no way you can do it. If you're not turning our ear more to him than to any other outlet. 
And there is no way we will have the courage to press on if we do not have our faith in what Jesus has already said and shown would be the end result. So where will you make time for him? Where in the margin of your life will you make time for God? Will you leave space to hear his instruction? To receive his instruction? Moreover, will you actually do something about it? And will you join me in holding tightly to the only thing that gives us hope, and that is the conclusion that he promises.